sweet land of liberty, our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinach. Welcome back to Freedom's Ring, my friends. My guest today is my good friend and colleague, Amira Al-Haddad, who only plays a lawyer on television. Just joking. But she serves as Director of Public Affairs and Religious Liberty for the Southern Union Conference of Seventh-day Adventists, serving a whole bunch of Southern states. And you'll hear her accent. Amira, we're going to talk about secularism as a flashpoint in the civil strife and conflict that our nation is enduring these days. Uh, How do you see secularism as kind of one of the root objects of this strife? Secularism and the change in the way we are defining secularism within our government today is creating just one of the many components of fighting, infighting within the government that we have today. So I guess the thing that I would do is maybe define the way we used to define secularism, because we've always said that our government is a secular government. Mm -hmm. And because our government is a secular government, it gives us, it's separated religious institutions and religious idealism from the governing body. And because we've had a secular government, this has supported the right of freedom from imposing religion on the people for the history of of our nation. And so that type of secularism, that definition of that secularism, where government institutions and the governing of people are separate from religious institutions and religious idealism, has created an environment with a lot of religious freedom for us. And in the past, I've been working in religious liberty for 29 years. And I remember growing up as a teenager. I read Liberty Magazine as a teenager. I grew up in a very Adventist household where religious liberty was important to us. And we always talked about how We don't impose our religious beliefs on society as a whole because we had a secular government. And you could say that to Southern Baptists here in the South, and they would say, yes, amen. And you could say that to Methodists, and you could say that to Adventists. You could say that to anybody. And the reaction, you know, just sitting in a bus terminal, the reaction would be, yes, we all agree. That's the great thing about our government. But now we have this idea that having a secular government is a bad thing um, for one political party. And then for the other political party, uh, they think that uh, religion should be kind of tossed out of everything, including the public square. And so how that definition of secularism interaction with the government has changed is now we have an idea that all human decisions all activities that engage the public should be unhindered at all by any kind of religious belief Mm. or religious institution. And it's taking that to its extreme that has placed religious liberty 
in jeopardy that we see today, that conflict that we have today going on between Democrats and Republicans. So let me make this observation, Amir, as I'm listening to you. Um, Up until the most recent generation here in America, there was a broad consensus among Protestants, Catholics, Jews. America was predominantly a religious nation, and religion was regarded as a general good, that having religious belief and worship and all, this was something positive. What we have seen, though, in the last generation is increasingly religion to those who, you know, first of all, we have the rise of the nuns, as the sociologists call them, people who don't have religious beliefs or religious faith and who don't belong to any particular religion. Uh, So we have more people who are secular, who are not religious. And to those folks, they see two primary aspects of religion. On the one hand, they see religion as potentially violent and dangerous. And it's not just Islamic fundamentalism, but, you know, in many respects, the history of the Christian West has been, you know, the history of religion-inspired wars, Protestant and Catholic both. So they see religion on the one hand has great potential for violence and being dangerous, And on the other hand, their basic philosophical view is that, you know, there is no God. Religion is the opiate of the masses. It is, at best, a relatively harmless myth. But at worst, it is dangerous. So the question arises, why should religion have any special status in society? Why do we protect religious liberty if what we're protecting is, at its best, a harmless myth? but is also potentially very, very dangerous. So this view, I think, has increasingly motivated the secularist wing of our society. And what you're observing is that it causes a reaction from those who are religious, from conservatives who are defending their liberties and defending the role of religion in society. Correct. It's a knee-jerk reaction from Christians, especially evangelicals in America today, to say, look, you can't kick us out of government and you can't kick us out of the public square just because we're Christians. And we're going to double up on our efforts to make sure that that doesn't happen. So the take on this is that Christians are fighting against secularists who have taken the opinion that you can hold your religion as you will, but don't take it out of your house or out of your church. So it can't go into the public square. It can't go with you to work. If you're a cake baker, you know, you need to leave your religion at home before you go to your bakery. If you're a wedding invitation designer, um, you need to take your religious coat off, uh, leave it in the car before you go into your workplace. So it's this idea that the two have to be totally separate. I mean, it's worrisome for us in religious liberty because we always understand that there's got to be some kind of balance. And we've always said that the balance of religious liberty is very precarious, and we have to be careful to keep that balance there. And when the two extreme sides are fighting, Whoever sits in the White House holds 
holds all the weights to put on the scale. And now what we're seeing is the scale tips back and forth depending on who's in the White House. And it shouldn't be that like that. We need a consistency. We need an understanding. We need to come to a consensus that, you know, that these things can exist together in the same realm, regardless of who sits in the White House. Well, unfortunately, in addition to what I described earlier as kind of the secular perspective of religion, either being uh, at best a harmless myth or at worst dangerous, you now have this Christian nationalist movement, which is very much using religion for political purposes to gain power. And for those who don't share either the political or religious views of Christian nationalists, uh, that makes religion all the more dangerous. And it just, you know, we're at the point, one of the shows we recorded today is about how close we are to actually breaking out into civil strife and the extreme division and hatred that both sides have for one another. It's really gotten to somewhat of a crisis mode. Yeah, here's a good example. And this is a real life example. So under the former administration, there was a a nurse uh, who had filed a, a charge against her hospital who did not want to assist in abortion and helping doctors perform abortions, especially elective abortions. Um, the former administration, the Republican administration, the Department of Justice had taken up that case as an issue of unemployment law to defend that individual's conscience on her belief. Mm-hmm. The new administration um just maybe two months ago, I can't remember, you probably, you may remember this better than I did. The new administration issued a statement a couple of months ago saying that they were no longer taking up that case, that they were not going to defend that case. They were going to let it go. And in part, I think that we need to realize that this was in part because of the abortion issue and the differences in the stands of the two parties on abortion. But it also... For us, it should be an indicator that this particular issue wasn't about abortion. So the Democrats shouldn't have dropped the case because what this case was about was about her individual religious belief and what her employer could or couldn't compel her to do against her religious belief. Mm -hmm. And so in that case, in the particular case, if I have done the case correct, um, they had actually, her employer had actually gone out of their way to bend over backwards to make sure she was scheduled for an elective abortion, did not tell her before the procedure that that's what it was. I don't think she would have shown up. I think she would have just not shown up for work that day had she known that what they were going to do. And her claim is she didn't know what she was doing until they started the procedure. Mm-hmm. So, you know, definitely here you go back, she definitely has protections. And these aren't protections that infringe on anyone's rights. Someone else could have filled in for her. She's not the only uh, nurse at the hospital. Um, is there a way that we can protect her rights and, and still allow the procedure to happen? Yes. But somewhere along the way, somebody wanted to make a statement politically about what was going to happen or not going to happen. 
And the result was that something bad happened that should never have happened. And so they should always have accommodated her unless there was absolutely no other nurse in the whole entire hospital who could have assisted with the procedure. So here we're looking at, you know, the differences between the idea of secularism being, you know, she can hold the belief that she's against abortion, but she can't take that belief into the workplace with her. Mm-hmm. And and again, that's kind of like leave your belief at your doorstep when you leave your house. Right. Um, all religious things should be taken out of the public square in general. And again, there is, and it's not even a compromise. It's just there is an understanding that we should all you know, kind of acknowledge that there is give and take on both sides to these situations, and it doesn't always have to be a fight. Well, I think for starters, those of us who are Christians need to recognize that hating our enemies is not consistent with the teachings of Jesus, right? Correct. That regarding those who are politically who have different political views or a different political party and regarding them as an enemy, well, if even assuming that you're right, that in some sense they are an enemy, the gospel mandate from the lips of Jesus himself is that we're called to love them, right? Absolutely. Um, We're not permitted as Christians to hate our enemies. We're called to love our enemies. So, you know, uh, we as Christians can do a lot to take down the level of heat and conflict in our society. And so I call on all of us to take the teachings of Jesus seriously. And with that, we are out of time. Our guest today, Amira Al-Haddad, we've been talking about changing attitudes and concepts of secularism and how it's fueled our culture wars. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Ronach. Until next week, let freedom ring.